Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I see cushions. I'm fairly confident yeah. from chatting to you, Jack. Yeah. Those cushions weren't there oh, beforehand. Me, no, I didn't. I barely had a cushion on my wheelchair, let on the bloody couch. <laughs> like it was. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. This is yes! for the national title. And there we have seven now times champion, Jack Hunter Spivey. Jack is seventh time national champion. Must be very, very proud of that. Heading towards the Paralympics. Jack Hunter Spivey, how are you doing? Not too bad, mate. How are you? I'm good, man. This is an honour. This is uh, the first time we've had a member of Team GB. <laughs> on Cultaholic Island. This is so cool. Massive congratulations. Mate, it's, I'm delighted. And, and considering <laughs> how busy your schedule's about to get, because you're off to Tokyo. Yeah, I'm off to the Paralympics, my second Paralympics. I've just been selected. Um, yeah, it's a mad feeling, mate. I can't remember. I think I could be wrong in this, but the table tennis might be playing in the Tokyo Dome. So I think I'm... I'm I'm more or less getting a Dave Meltzer from it. <laughs> <laughs> Meltzer is going to get. I'm going to. Do you know what? Meltzer. He's, he's. I love him, but he is a little bit gullible. Um, yeah. If I was to tell him that you were, if you were, you were performing at the Tokyo Dome, he probably would give you a rating. Absolutely. <laughs> or at least he'd keep an eye on it. Uh, describe the moment when it was because because obviously you had the you had the game the other day. Yeah. That, that sent you there. Yeah. Um, describe the moment when you realise this is it. I'm I'm off to the Olympics. Yeah, my my qualification uh, for this Paralympics was was crazy, really. So I was basically oh, qualified yeah. before the pandemic. I was I was qualified. So in in our sport, we have to be tops. I think it was top seven in the world to qualify automatically for the Paralympics. I was number seven for like. Um, 12 months more or less apart from the last two tournaments the guy below me beat the world number one went above me by like two points I had two more tournaments he wasn't going to play so I thought you know what it's easy I just need to get out of the group I need to get one or two more points and then the pandemic hit and shut everything down and said basically if you're not qualified you're not qualified tough luck so I was like okay I've spent 12 months in the in the spot and then now I'm not so it was a bit of an adjustment uh, during the lockdown um, we were doing zoom table tennis sessions like shadow play we call it so a bit like shadow boxing with table tennis, so playing with no table and no ball, just swinging your bat around, really getting the technique ready. Then I managed to get a table in my room, but I live in a in a flat, so it was the same size as my living room. So me and the missus are eating our dinner off the table tennis table. The TV's at one end of it. I'm like, it's, it was an absolute nightmare for six months, just trying to get a bit of training in. So it come down basically to uh, I had to win the qualification tournament. So it was a last chance competition for whoever wins that competition. You get to play for the last spot of the of the Paralympics. So I went there two weeks ago in Slovenia. Um, lost my first match in the group stages because I was far too nervous because for 18 months I was thinking I want to play the Paralympics I feel like I want to represent GB and then I ended up losing this so I had to win the next match uh, 3-0 against an Argentinian bloke managed to do that uh, and went on to the semis and finals to to win the tournament so the feeling of doing it was amazing mate. it was like an out-of-body experience that's the only way I can explain it because when I won, I chucked my bat in the air and then I, I realised and there was a split second where I was cheering and looking at the crowd and I realised 
my bat in the air somewhere and it could hit me on the head. <laughs> like, that was the thing I was thinking. <laughs> did, did it, though? No, it, was, it, it, like, glanced my shoulder, so we were all right. We, we styled it out, but imagine if we just whacked it on the head. <laughs> it was took a bump uh, straight after it, like. <laughs> <laughs> just hit the ground, like, that's it. Concussed. Uh, Jack can't make it to the Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like the history with with you and your family with Japan. Obviously, you've been yeah. there for the Open before. Uh, yeah. y- your family's got a big history there. Your brother speaks Japanese. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. So this this must feel so special. Is there something with like away from the tournament that yeah. you're really looking forward to seeing or doing when you get to Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, Japan is synonymous with my family. My brother's been obsessed with it. Uh, he's seven years older than me, but he's been obsessed with Japan since a young age. He used to watch anime. He tries to learn it from a young age as well. He was obsessed with Japanese music and stuff like that. And now he's in the games industry. He works on FTC games. He makes the Lego games and, and stuff like that at the moment. So Amazing. What a hero. A, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a clever lad. And um, yeah, he speaks Japanese. And him and his missus were going to move out there pre-pandemic. So basically sold all the stuff, ready to go couldn't go because of everything going on so the country really is special for us and um my brother's meant to be out there in the crowd unfortunately he won't be out there now but for me when i went to japan last time it's it, it's not so much seeing things because I don't, I don't know whether with restrictions i'm allowed to go and do some touristy stuff but mm. it's just the culture and the people and submerging yourself in, in that sort of uh environment it's such a special place i don't know whether you've been but when i went it was such um, there's such a feel around around the country. I can't explain it, but it's something in the air that you just think I'd love to be here. And I can compl- I didn't understand why he wanted to move so far away until I went there. And he's like, right, okay, I can definitely live here as well. I've never been, so I'm it's kind crazy. of living vicariously through you. Oh, it's a place I always want to go. Yeah, it's it's one of them places that you've got experience to do. Because I've done China, I've done Korea, which are, are lovely places, but Japan is just something special. Like it's it's yeah, it's incredible. It's one of my favorite countries ever. You've been all over the world, and I want to get into yeah. it, but we're here mainly <laughs> to talk about wrestling, sir. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, which is a nice little, a nice little pit stop on your media tour right now yeah. to come talk yeah. about wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to send you onto a desert island, and we're going right. to give you the chance to choose three wrestling matches to burn onto a DVD to watch whilst you are there. What would you like your first one to be, Jack? Well, my first match is the Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dream and Sandman 2005 One Night Stand. strange one really because i was 10 in in 2005 so i was watching bits of wrestling uh, my stepdad watched wrestling at the time so we're going through the area of like carly throw at the apple schnitzky with the baby and all of that sort of love like um pg sort of stuff and i loved it and then my stepdad was talking about ecw and i was like, i didn't really know what it was and he bought the pay-per-view but he was like you can't watch it it's like right okay so I didn't, and he's watching it on, on the Sunday. He wasn't around. So it's, you know, in the old pay-per-views where you used to be able to watch it. And the next day we used to show times and it like two o'clock this, four o'clock this, and you used to be able to do it. So I'd sneakily switched it on halfway through. And I was like, what the hell is this? That's a fight. That's not wrestling. <laughs> and I was just like, I was so encapsulated by the whole moment of it. And I don't think I watched the whole pay-per-view and I have subsequently been back and watched it, but that main event was absolutely crazy because for me, I think I switched on just before the, the the RVD match, which was before it. Having the Dudley Boys come out, which I knew a little bit around the Dudley Boys, and I was like, right, okay, what is this ECW thing? Then this Tommy Dreamer came out, and I thought he looks like he should work in an office. What is that about? Why is he coming out in these weird pants? Like, why is he why is he coming out? And then Sandman comes out the crowd. I thought, why is this like scruffy lad coming dude with a with a stick? Like, you know, I was like, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Like he's whacking, he's cut himself before the match. That can't be good. Like he's in the crowd, the crowd's whacking himself with stuff, and what is going on? And then chaos just ensued for the whole match, and I was literally just gripped by the whole thing. And then obviously going back now and looking into the history of ECW, and 
And for me, it was it was the whole fourth wall thing. You know, Joey, Joey Styles on the commentary, he's just giving giving shit to WWE, like on the side, Foley's on the commentary as well. And you've got all them up the top with uh, JBL and all the other... Um, it was like the invasion angle, wasn't it, coming in? So, so that yeah, so One Night Stand was that it was yeah. the, an event that ECW were, were putting on through WWE and yeah. they got tickets yeah. for the Raw and SmackDown roster to come and watch. Yeah. And uh, they uh, and they all sat in the in the bleachers at the top. It yeah. was... I love as as a, I've been a fan of that point for ages. What I loved about that was how true it felt to ECW. Yeah, yeah, massively. I think I think for me as well, it was something that I'd never experienced before. I I was coming from the the SmackDown with the big fist. I was coming from like quite a quite a pure type of wrestling, and I, I knew yeah. it wasn't real, but I knew it, I knew it was fake. And I listened, to it, but that wasn't fake. Like what I was watching wasn't fake. When when Dudley got the um, when Bubba got the cheese grater and Tommy Dreamer, I was like. I've cut my finger on a cheese grater and it wasn't rubbed on the end. <laughs> like that was the only reference I had. And I was like, that is painful. Then there's literally there was no wrestling. I was watching yeah. it. I was watching it before just to, to come over this and there was no wrestling. I think there was like one Russian leg sweep. <laughs> there might have been a suplex now and again, but there was no there was no pinfalls. There was nothing. It was just an absolutely crazy experience. Then you had the uh, Blue World Order coming out, and I, I my head fell off. I was like, what the hell is the Blue World Order? <laughs> I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> it, it was, it was in every sense true ECW. It was just yeah. a hot mess, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, it, and, oh, I, and I loved it. It was, and I think my my sort of style of wrestling now is the hard hitting sort of style, which you'll probably see with the next two matches as well. Is that sort of hard hitting style? And I'm a big fan on the indies. I don't necessarily watch a lot of WWE and AEW these days, but I'm, I'm usually traveling around up and down the country to to a lot of the indie shows in the UK with my girlfriend and. That's the sort of style that I love and 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 kind of uh, yeah fell in love with as well. So, can you remember the first indie show that you went to? First indie show I went to was at uh, actually a TNT one in Liverpool. TNT Extreme Wrestling. Oh, they're very good at TNT. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. I took my mum because basically we wanted tickets to WWE in the arena and couldn't afford it. And I was like, oh, there's some wrestling show like <laughs> in Liverpool. It must be similar. So we went there. My mum, my mum didn't have a clue what wrestling was, but I didn't want to go on my own. And I think the main event had like Will Ospreay in it and Joseph Connors, and we, it was an unbelievable show. And there was Kings and North there, the uh, the Northern Irish boys, which which I'm quite good friends with now. But at the time, my mum my mum uh, fell in love with them. We did the VIP because I thought I can't buy the WWE tickets, but I can do the VIP. So we met all the wrestlers and all beforehand, getting the posters signed and stuff. And me, my mum absolutely fell in love with Corbin, like big muscly bloke, like. Oh. Belfast accent, yeah, yeah. My mum loved this. So when they were fighting, they, they had a, I can't remember who they were fighting actually. And and Corvin had gone, he got a super kick, gone down one, two, three, and he's gone back holding his jaw. So I was like, oh, mum's like, is he okay? I was like, yeah, mum, it's not real. Like, don't worry about it. Good match, it's all right. And then a few minutes later, I got <laughs> my mum goes, I'm just going to the toilet. So I didn't think nothing of it. I'm watching the matches, and she comes back and she goes. Oh, so I walked past Cuff and he's all right. But my mum had walked into the dressing room to see if he's okay. She... Oh, bless <laughs> her. She walked in and gone, hello, I'm first day trained. I just wondered if your jaw was okay. Oh, <laughs> oh your mum. <laughs> your mum's so precious. <laughs> hey, the, you know what? With with, with, yeah. with medicals teams being mandatory now, your mum could probably make a killing on the Indies. <laughs> So she only with ones that she fancied. Only ones yeah. that she fancied. That was the one. Yeah, I think there was a bit of hidden incentive there before. She was going, "Oh, his pants are awful small, aren't they?" I was like, "Yeah, always wrestling like it. So it's all like that." You've got a cut above your eye. You best take your pants <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your mum's filth. Um, <laughs> I think this is going to be a fun one. Eleven minutes in, I've called your mum filth. I think this is going to be good. Um, <laughs> What are some of your other favourite memories of the... Because the, the indie scene in the UK, like, it's yeah. been obliterated in the last 12 yeah. months and it's starting to make a comeback. And yeah. what have been some of your favourite memories of going to indie shows in the UK? For me, one of my favourite memories was was watching my girlfriend fall in love with wrestling the way I did when I was a kid. But oh. she, like, she is a massive wrestling fan for UK wrestling. But if you showed her The Undertaker and Kane, she wouldn't have a fucking clue who they are. Like, it's, it's a strange old thing. We've travelled up and down the country. She loves it. She, she'll know all the moves in and out. But she's never watched WWE, AEW. She's not really that interested. I took her to uh, what was Southside, which is now Rev Pro in Sheffield, where we lived. And it turned from, I'm just coming with you because you've got nowhere to go with. And she was watching it thinking, oh, them blokes are fit, like walking past. And then it turned into a bit like, oh, this is quite interesting. And then next one I was thinking, she said to me two weeks later, she was like, oh, there's another event there. Are you going to drag me to that one? And I was like, oh, you've, uh, you must have been following these on Instagram a bit more. And then she was like, oh, should we get tickets for this one? And it just seemed grow from there. So 
I think for me, one of my, my best memories is obviously of what I've going around with, with my girlfriend and we went to Belfast for an OT, um, OTT show mm. uh, at the Europa. Absolutely incredible. Um, it, we had uh, Walter versus, um, no, it was Walter and Timothy Thatcher versus Kings of the North. Unbelievable match. It, it was one, it was like dream match after dream match. We had even like things like Session Moth. I think, um, I think Walter got suplexed into the chairs that I was right next to. Like it was just, the indie scene for me is so, un, it feels unfiltered. It feels that like community that I'm, I'm a part of vicariously because I'm a big football fan, big Liverpool fan. And uh, I don't get to go to matches too much. And it's that sort of mentality where you can have a few drinks with people who've got a common interest. You can chant away. You can give the wrestlers shit. Or like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of them sort of things. And and I've been lucky enough to be involved in, in wrestling a little bit. I've uh, done a bit, a little bit of wrestling training. Oh, UK Sport aren't listening for the insurance. But I've, uh, I have... Uh, <laughs> Dabbled in, I've dabbled in a little bit of wrestling training a few years ago. I've done a bit of uh, managerial stuff uh, and been around shows. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I, it helps my table tennis uh, ridiculously. I've gone through, which we will probably touch on later, of a lot of mental health problems and stuff. And table tennis is what, um, and wrestling was one of the big things that helped me sort of change my life around and trying to get that on the table as well. So, yeah, to sum up your, your question in a long-winded way, it's, it's definitely the, the whole of the wrestling scene, I'd say. You mentioned there about getting into the wrestling training. So, so how yeah. did the wrestling training help the, 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 with the table tennis stuff then? Um, so basically after Rio, so I played the Paralympics in Rio and I'd had a dream since I was a kid to A, be a Paralympian and to be a wrestler. And growing up, I I didn't I was born with cerebral palsy, for everyone who doesn't know, I'm a full-time wheelchair user. Uh, I was actually born blind and deaf until um, I was nine months old and the doctor said I'd never walk, talk or do anything. Uh, and my sight came back at nine months old, my hearing came back a few, few months later and then the rest is sort of history. So growing up, I was always sort of the really frustrated kid that didn't realise why I couldn't walk properly and wanted to be like the next Steven Gerrard in the playground, but didn't have a clue why. And then I sort of adapted through table tennis of, of following my dream, dreams and I doesn't have to sort of not be there because I'm in a wheelchair, if that makes sense. So I found out about the Paralympics when I was 10 and wanted to be a Paralympian ever since. But the other dream was to be a wrestler and that that's a dream that every kid's got. So after after uh, Rio, I was I was being twenty one. I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna be a wrestler. And everyone was like, Well you're in a wheelchair, you can't walk. So how are you gonna do that? And I was like, there's a way. Like do you know what I, mean? I was like, that's what mentality there's a way. So contacted the local wrestling school, um EBW Sheffield disbanded now. But um and I went down to a match, which was my first sort of indie show that wasn't as professional as other indie shows I've been to like it wasn't you, you it, get a which, few of them yeah which which was great because it was something that I hadn't seen because I'd seen the top ends your Ospreys your your Ricochets your all them sort of your your war machines and then I'd gone to like EBW where you've got like maybe a postman on the main event which I'm not knocking it's, it's absolutely brilliant you know what oh I mean? you've got to do what you got to do but, yeah. but there is something special yeah. there's something very special about, yeah. about a shonky ropey indie absolutely. show absolutely you've not, you've not experienced British indies till you've gone to like a social club it looks like Phoenix Knights in the background. You know what I mean? That's one of them sort of like I look. I felt like Brian Potter just because the wheelchair. That was the only thing I felt like. <laughs> what are you doing in here, Terry? <laughs> That's what it was like. Get that ring down. Get that ring down. What are you doing? Wrestling? They got their pants up. I mean, I mean that could have been the thing. So, yeah. so when you when you got into the tra- how did you find the training then? Yes, yeah, so they had this local school and I spoke to the guy and I said, look, I want to be a, I'll be a wrestler. And a guy called Ben came over and uh, he was the, he, Ben Green and he came over and he's a really nice bloke. He said, we worked with this building before. We, we have a few people with autism that come in and, and I'm bits and bobs. Well, come in and have a go, see what happens sort of thing. So I went up to the to the school. It was up a flight of stairs. So I was like, okay, I'll just sort this out. So they met me at the bottom, helped me walk up the stairs and then the rest is sort of, as it went, so I went for a good six months. I learned how to bump. I could suplex people out of my chair. So basically, if if they knew they were bumping, I could. I've got videos that we can probably slide in if you want to of me suplexing someone in a ring. So uh, yeah, it, it was an experience for me because it was something that I wanted to do. I even had a seminar with their uh, rockstar spud as well. I went to a seminar with him, and uh, he basically turned up and looked at me, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm keen on this, mate." And he said, "What do you do for a living?" And I was like, "I play table tennis." He was like. That's nice, but what do you do for a living? I was like, no, I'm number eight in the world. Like, I'm, I'm, he went, what? No, I didn't realize you were that good. I thought you said you played a bit of table tennis. So he was a really nice bloke, and he's one of the nice people I've met, and he sort of helped me as well. So I could, I could lock up. We had um, scenarios, and and the idea was to to have a match. My, my one dream, and it still is in life, is to have one wrestling match. I've got a bucket list, and on that is to do one match. So. 
hopefully in the future when uh, the Paralympics over, because there was a little bit of uh, pushback from the table tennis, as you can imagine, because they paid my wages and he said, well, if you break your arms, I don't really care. So that didn't really go down that well. So um, oh, yeah. we have to nip that in the bud, which is fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do it after I've finished my career and I understand why. But um, I'm glad I did it because I understood the business a lot more. I understood how to bump and how you don't realise how painful wrestling is until you've bumped in a proper ring i think that's one thing uh, as a fan you probably should try if you can do is just trying to bump in a ring and jump off a top rope and land on your back and realize it's it's not all sponge like it's when you get in a ring and you think this i thought this was a trampoline and it's, and it's not like <laughs> it's crazy what the, the people do it's yeah it's amazing really it's uh, when you go to when you go to training as a fan and you yeah. and you see how it's all put together. I think it's either one or two things happen once you kind of once sort of that mystery box is opened. Yeah. One or two things yeah. happens. Either you go, oh, it's all, oh, it's all put together like that. I don't like yeah. it anymore. Or you go, actually, I'm fascinated by this and I want to know how Absolutely. to do it myself. Yeah, and it's Absolutely. great that it went that way for you, where you're just like, yeah. now I know. I want to yeah. know how to put this together myself. Uh, yeah, I think I think for me being obviously being an athlete, it was the technique side of it. It was okay, we come from the right hand side, this happens when you bump this sort of way, then this that guy ties this guy, this is how you lock up, this side and it was sort of like a technique and it's it, my girlfriend explains it. She she loved the 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 wrestling because it, she finds it like a dance sort of thing. She finds the the she calls it choreography but it's not but like that sort of style of hard hitting they're not hitting each other, but they could do, and, and it's that sort of thing that I thought I thought it was fascinating, and it's something I've fell in love with ever since even more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let's talk about your second wrestling match then. Yeah. So we had uh, an ECW one night stand, uh, yeah. hot mess between the Dudleys yes. and Dreamer and yeah. Tanman. What about your second one? My second one is Cody and Dustin, double or nothing. I love my brother. I have always loved my brother. And this notion of brother versus brother, of, of natural versus nightmare, it's all very marketable, it's all very romantic, albeit not very accurate. This match is generation versus generation. When that animal can't go anymore and it knows it's going to die and it wants to die, you pull from the hip, you roll your fingers on the steel of the chamber, and you blow it away. This is not a new beginning for me in my career. I have done it all. 30 years in the business, my legacy is intact. I am Dustin Rhodes. He's back on the street one more time. I didn't, as everyone goes through phases, you, you, you don't fall out of love with wrestling, but it, you don't catch up with it as much as you can. You, you fall out as a fan. Yeah, fall out of love with it. You, you, you mark can't afford the Sky Sports package anymore, or you know, those little things like that you don't really understand. So... Um, yeah, for me, I sort of I picked wrestling back up as they gone on the indie scenes, falling in love with TNT in Liverpool. Uh, Jay, the owner, was absolutely incredible and, and sort of got me in, involved in that sort of stuff. So, and, and AEW for me was one of them things that I was watching Cultaholic and there was talks about an AEW coming, but and uh, I was thinking no one can ever rival WWE. It's such a power, power figure in the wrestling business. No one can sort of do it. It's like trying to make a new premiership in football. Very, mm-hmm. very difficult. Do you know what I mean? So, 
going through that and it actually happened and it was the first pay-per-view I'd bought in a very long time was the uh, Double or Nothing first one because I thought, what is this all about? They've got all these ex-superstars uh, and everything like that and I loved the build-up of it and that match, um, I was watching it on my own. The missus came over from work late and then she actually fell asleep on the couch watching it and it was the start of that match and then they had the Triple H chair at the start of it where Cody comes out and I thought, oh God, he's just battered that. He's, there's no going back from here. This isn't just a, <laughs> this isn't just a fleet in the in the in the universe sort of thing. So, and watching that match, it, it was the it was the false finishes. It was that you could see the the chemistry between the two of them. They had the, the whole crowd's invested. And for me, sometimes I don't struggle, but I, on TV matches, I, I struggle to get invested as much as I can. Uh, it's just similar to when the the uh, the one night stand match. I was completely invested and in that sort of moment of wrestling. And that AEW match just captured that. And then a bit at the end, I started crying. You know, when he's talking to his brother and Dustin's full of blood. And at the end of it, I thought he's over and he picks him up and he says, You don't get to retire here. You don't get that. Because I got to ask you a favor. In front of God and the whole world. Before AEW was a thing, before we filled this place up, it was me, it was Kenny, it was Matt, it was Nick, it was Tony. And I put my name on a piece of paper for our show next month in Jacksonville for Fight for the Fallen. You know what the match that I put my name down on? It was myself and a partner of my choosing. Against, against what I think is the best tag team in the world, the Young Bucks. But Dustin, I don't need, I don't need a partner. I don't need, I don't need a friend. I need my older brother. And I'm crying. And Lucy wakes up in the couch and goes, what the fuck are you crying for? Like, you know, I was like, this was it. Like, she's just not even seen it, like, what was going on. So it was one of the matches that I remember vividly. And I think on this desert island, if I'm going to watch some wrestling, it's going to have to be nostalgia because I'm stuck in the sand in my chair. I'm not going to get off the island. So I feel like <laughs> if I'm if, I, <laughs> if I'm going to watch some wrestling, it's going to have to take me back some memories. That's, that's, that was what I was thinking with these choices. It really felt like uh, you mentioned it there when Cody destroyed that throne with the yeah. sledgehammer. It's like there is no yeah. going back. Yeah, here. there's like, no going is, back. Yeah, this is a thing that's happening. Like, have you yeah. been invested in AEW since then? Yeah, definitely. I, I, the last few months, I've been so busy. I've not really kept up in, in any of the wrestling sort of thing. But AEW was definitely one I, I was watching. I think it was incredible the way the they've they've had the balls to come out and do it, and the product is really good as well. I think the way they did it. Uh, similar as well, I know I'm, I might be sounding a bit hypocritical, but NXT has been something that's really captured me as well recently, especially with the additions of like Pete Dunne and 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 everyone like that that's gone over. And the NXT UK stuff is actually really good. It, it, sometimes I struggle to watch the NXT NXT UK stuff because I've seen them on the indies uh, over and over again, putting match after match, five star after five star, and sometimes it feels a little bit watered down when you're watching it on TV, which I completely understand. We well, had that exact conversation yeah. the other day, uh, me and a mate of mine, where it's just like we love, we love the fact that these guys are are making bank and working for, yeah, and working for the absolutely. WWE. But it's yeah. like they're all kind of matches we've seen at exactly. smaller venues, yeah, yeah. They, and they've gone like they've gone to fifth gear as opposed to sort of yeah. stuck around in third. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say I that I'd love, and I get it. But... Yeah. I was a massive, massive uh, Flash Morgan Webster and Mandrew fan. Uh, on the on the indie scenes and still am now incredible incredible wrestlers and um yeah watching watching your favorites got because for me it was a bit like oh I'm, I'm really really happy they're going to make a living i was really proud of them going out there but then i had 
all my favourites taken away on the Indies. It was one of those sort of things for me. I was like, okay, well, and there has been people that have stepped up and gone into that main event scene now in the Indies. People like Joe Nelson, people like Alexis Falcon and, and Lizzie Styles, and people like that are coming through now. And, and with the speaking out stuff now, it's got rid of the, the shite that was in inside um, British wrestling. So I think I can't wait to get back to indie shows and see how it's going. But it's, it's one of them sort of things that it is a bit up in the air at the moment for me and, and see where it goes. Go. It really feels like um, a blank canvas with the indie yeah. stuff, and, and, and as Definitely. you say, and I, I'm intrigued as a connoisseur. Like you were, you say yourself, you were happy to see like these guys go, despite the fact that it was leaving this this big yeah. old gap, yeah. this chasm in the indie yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then through speaking out, uh, it's as embarrassing. It's, it's yeah. an embarrassing part of the industry, and it yeah. saw even more people leave yeah. the industry forever. So coming back in sort of twenty late twenty twenty early twenty twenty one, it's yeah. going to be a very weird like fresh new start isn't it absolutely i think i think it's going to be um it'd be interesting to see who stick around and what the crowd mm. levels are going to be like what the show quality is going to be there as well and and for me i'm going to support the indies fully like that's that's my my goal is to to do that as much as i can because there's people that have been um maybe uh, sidestepped with the, the with the speaking out movement that have now come to the forefront which is absolutely perfect because we've got rid of the the animals in in the in the sport and it, it, from the speaking out time was I found it really tough even though I wasn't part of the speaking out movement I knew some of them wrestlers personally I've been on the indies I'd spoke to them I'd, I've inboxed wrestlers countless times to speak about how how can I utilise that in my table tennis how can I do this in my career and I've I, I built a rapport with some of these people and I went to a show in, in RWA in Runcorn where local show and and Andy was an absolute monster. Like he's been called out and what an absolute disgrace and scumbag. And my mum used to speak to him and my little sister was going to go to wrestling training at school. And it sort of hit home that it wasn't as rosy as I thought it was. Every, every weekend I used to look forward to going to shows and now I feel really bad for what was going on behind the scenes potentially. It turns and your stomach, both, doesn't it? When yeah, you go it's through, horrible. Like- but you, but it's it's one of those things. Like I've got messages on my in, in my inbox of people yeah. that I was speaking to regarding shows and booking yeah, and working exactly, with them, yeah. and, and then their true colours have come through, and you just yeah. it, it makes you it makes you feel sick to your stomach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, as you say, it's it's potentially a brighter a brighter time ahead. Yeah, a much definitely. brighter time ahead for. And I think I think going forward for me as well, I'd love to be involved in in wrestling uh, going forward if if I possibly could. Maybe with my with my sport and stuff, I can't be in the ring as much as I, I'd love to. Obviously, but I'd love to take up a managerial role. I'd love to sort of do that sort of thing. I've got I've got an idea of having sort of like a. Um, an Olympic faction in, in sort of going around the country. I'd love to take like big guns Joe with me or, or it's just people like that. I could just go, I'm, I'm a Paralympian. I've looked through the country of who I can take. This is my protege, you know, that sort of thing. And I think it'd be well, great. Let's, to let's do. build it. Let's build it. And they yeah. will come. So, uh, yeah. Oh, watch my microphone. Easy tiger. <laughs> got too excited by yeah. this. So, uh, Jack Hunter Spivey's, um, yes. sort of team angle, essentially. Yeah. Is yeah. what we're building. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, who who's in it? So we've got Big Guns Joe. We've given yeah. some love to to, to yeah. Big Joe. Love the work of yeah. Big Joe. He's Unbelievable. so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who who else would you want in this? I'm going for an uh, Adam Maxted. I'm going for an Adam Maxted. Maxted, nice. Yeah. He's a I mean, beast, is man. I was going to say he's an absolute beast, and he can knock your head off at any point <laughs> as well. So <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, women's side, I'm going for Lizzie Styles. I'm going to have Lizzie, Lizzie Styles in this, but you've got to have hard hitting Lizzie Styles in there. So you, you know what? I would not. I would not mess with Lizzie Styles. Oh, like, mate, she would it, crush me like cracker yeah. bread. I'm pretty confident, mate. I'm scousing that I wouldn't like to meet in the streets. <laughs> she looks really nice. She's like, like, <laughs> <laughs> she looks lovely, but she she will snap you like a twig. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She'd take me dinner off, dinner off me, and I wouldn't. She wouldn't even uh, ask. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, let's get one more in there. One more, one maybe more. on the women's side. Uh, let me think on the women's side. I'm going to go for you know what? I'm going to go Session Moth, a bit left field. Oh, nice. Moth, okay. Because I'm going to change Session Moth's character to T-Total, T-Total Olympian. Big, big thing in it. Yeah. That's what You're messing with history. <laughs> a T-Total Session. I mean, yeah. uh, there's mileage in it. There yeah. is mileage in it. <laughs> That's a lovely idea. Yeah, that's, that's, so a, that's out into the universe now. We've got it out there, yeah. We released yeah, it gonna, the going to do it. What, um, <laughs> what led you to table tennis out of interest? Just to, just to yeah. go back to that. 
So at the, I, I say I grew up in Liverpool. We moved around. I moved to Widnes when I was eight, which is just outside of Liverpool. And uh, my family had absolutely nothing. My mum was a, a single parent and I seen my dad and my mum had a lot of mental health problems growing up. She's got bipolar, she's got borderline personality and she's got um, a history of, of, of problems and she looked after us really well, but we didn't have a lot of money growing up at all. Um, and it was it was really tough. So I went to a youth club when I was 10 for like sort of disabled and deprived kids really. So we used to go and get our evening meal. You'd meet kids in a similar situation. You'd have arts and crafts. You could have a bit of toast. Like you'd, you'd have sport. You had a, a, a football and all that sort of stuff. And they had a table tennis table. And back then I was on my feet. So with my cerebral palsy, I could walk a little bit, but not too much. And, and I didn't want to be in a wheelchair, but I didn't want to use my chair. I just thought I'd grow out of it sort of thing. And, and it was it was a, a learning experience for me of of playing at the age of ten, realizing that I couldn't hit the ball, but I really enjoyed the the competitiveness. And I was hold, I was standing up holding the table when I was playing, but I had to sit down in between each point because uh, obviously my legs were really sore. And there was a, a woman called Geraldine who we're forever grateful for, who was one of the people that helped out at the club at one of the workers there. And she sort of seen that I loved playing the sport, and she played a little bit back in her youth as well. So she helped me play. And I heard that London won the bid for for 2012 on the radio, went in in the background of the club, and thought Paralympics, I can play that. I'm disabled, I can do that. That's going to be in London. So uh, ever since then, I was obsessed. And uh, Bernardo's um, got me a, a chaperone that used to take me to and from Tilton his training. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Going from there, and I was just absolutely obsessed with the sport. I met a guy called Tony Edge who was a Paralympian back in, uh, I think it was the 70s, back in the Stoke Mandeville days of, of, of Paralympics. And he was in a wheelchair, but he's a lot more disabled than me. He strapped the baton to his hand. He was he was paralysed from the chest down, really, so he didn't have any any sort of movement. And he looked at me and said, I can beat you. And I was like, nah, you're in a wheelchair. You can't beat me, mate. Like, and he, he looked at me and said, I can beat you. And he beat me 22-0. Didn't get a point of him at all. Not a chance. Like, do you know what I mean? Not a chance. And he said to me, like, I understand you love the sport. I think you've got a lot of future, but you're going to have to use your wheelchair. And Tony sort of mentored me through the whole of my life, not only on the table, but growing up with my wheelchair, growing up with my disability. And now I see it as my unique selling point. I wouldn't change it for the world. If someone could offer me a pill, I wouldn't take it because it's part of me. It's part of my life and, and I absolutely love it. For me, what walking was the was the on a pedestal. It was like it was oh, if you you normal if you walk, you're in a wheelchair, you'd struggle. Like it was that was just a built and in, in me mm. and and that was how was how it changed for me. And it was uh, it's funny actually. I had this conversation with the Jehovah's Witness that knocked on my door a few years ago because <laughs> <laughs> so he knocked on my door and uh, we were talking and I was very polite and I said it's not not for me, mate. I'm not really religious. He said okay, before we go, is there anything we can do for you? I said, I'm okay, thanks. He looked me up and down and he said, no, is there anything we can we can do for you? And I said, what? And he said, oh, we, we might be able to help you walk. And I said, I don't want to walk. And he was shocked. He went, why, why do I want to walk? He said, well, because you, you can walk then. And I was like, I, I don't know, mate, I'm, I'm quite happy not walking. And honestly, like, it was a weird old conversation. And, every, and then it was one of them sort of things I was like, okay, well... Um, my shoot, I'm exactly the same as everyone else. I'm the same as, as you. I have the same, I'm same interest, same everything. Just my shoes don't get dirty and yours do. That's literally the only two difference between me and you. That's the only difference. Do you know what I mean? So I've had to sort of learn to adapt to that, but it literally is, especially living in England where everything. Just for so- that, when I see you, I'm going to chuck mud on your shoes. <laughs> Mate, Just my for shoes that, are yeah. awful. <laughs> but. It's an amazing mindset that you've got about it. Um, and, and, and it's just because, and it's, I say that, but then you don't think that because you just go, well, it's just, that it is what yeah. it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, You opened up a bit, uh, sort of lead into this about, about your mental health. Yeah. And you did it during a really crucial part of your career. So yeah. what was it that sort of made you start that conversation? Yeah. So at the age of, oh, from whatever age I can remember really as a, as I said, my mum grew up with mental health problems and, and I used to go into my mum's bedroom and she'd be crying her eyes out and I didn't know what was happening. And I'd say, mum, what's the matter? And she'd say, oh, just watching a sad film or I've just read, a, I don't know. Like, And as a kid, you don't really think anything of it. You just brush it off. Oh, mum's just watching a sad film. Growing up, you, you, you see things that are a little bit different and, and the way my mum looked after me and my brother was absolutely incredible. Like, credit to her. She's been an absolute cornerstone of my life. But... I always felt a little bit different than everyone else. I always felt like I was in a, a, a grey cloud and everyone else wasn't. Like, I always felt a little bit different. And I didn't know what that was because obviously growing up with mum and she probably felt in a similar situation, I didn't know that wasn't normal. I didn't know it wasn't wasn't normal to hate yourself or look in the mirror and hate it or just like things like that. I didn't know. 
it got to the point where um, at the age of 18, I managed to get into the Great Britain squad after traveling up and down the trains with no money and I'm um, sitting in toilets on the trains and blagging hotels and, and everything. Got to the squad, uh, signed my first professional contract that I'm being a full-time athlete and moving to Sheffield and it was amazing, but I still didn't quite feel like uh, myself. I could have done anything in the world. They could have given me a lot of a ticket with the winnings, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I, I hated myself, if honestly. And, and I went to um, training and it was a two-week period in my life that I don't really remember from like the age of 18, 19. I went into training. I was wearing the same clothes for um, like two weeks. I was stinking. I was crying every session. I just wasn't myself. And my coach said to me, what's up? And I'd give him excuses like my washing machine's broke or I'm just not feeling great today or different things. And, my, and luckily we had a psychologist in the Great Britain squad and he sort of sat me down and and said like, what's the matter? And I was I was playing it off. I was like, I'm fine, I'm all right, it's just a blah, blah, blah. And then he sat me down and said, look, I, I, you need to be honest with yourself. And I went home and spoke and then I, I pulled him to the side the next day and said, I just broke down and said, I absolutely hate myself. I said, I've got to a stage where I don't want to be here anymore. Like I really, I've constant thoughts about killing myself since I was a young age. Like it, it was one of them things that I didn't understand why. I, 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 did, I was talking about it. I think it might have shocked me because I was talking about it like it was just a normal thing. But for me, it, it was reality. And I'm so lucky for the, for the setup I've got for UK Sport and, and the Great Britain team that I had the, the help and opportunity to go to um, uh, psychiatrists and, and, and stuff like that and work on it. But I've been through three suicide attempts in my life. I've been through around Rio at the Paralympics um, a few months uh, before Rio. I just wasn't feeling myself. I was living with my friends in Sheffield. It was great. I was a full-time athlete professional, but I remember sitting on my bed um, crying my eyes out and I had a handful of tablets and I rang my mum saying, I'm so, I can't do this anymore, mum. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And she's screaming at me down the phone and just put the phone down and, and, and had the tablets. And luckily enough, my roommate came in and heard me crying and sort of knocked the tablets off my hand and, and all that. But I went through a stage where I was turning around the mirrors in my house I was covering up any glass panels. The shower, I had to pull the shower curtain over the shower because there was a reflection. I absolutely hated myself. And, and I sort of came out after I've, I've done my uh, therapy. I've, I've started taking tablets regularly and, and this is an ongoing battle I've got. And I sort of came out in the press and said, look, I'm a professional athlete. I'm number eight in the world. I've got countless titles to my name, but I struggle with health problems. And there's got to be other people out there that as well. And a lot of athletes come out with mental health problems and say, I was struggling with depression, but I've retired and now I'm going to come out and say it or I've retired and I've had mental health problems. But I thought, you know what? There's no one in Olympic and Paralympic teams that I knew of that was open about mental health problems and competing at the highest level as well. So I sort of used that as a, as a backbone of of trying to get myself better, which I managed to do. And it's still a constant battle today. There's no cure for mental health, unfortunately, but it's, it's how to manage it. And I'm still taking tablets now. I'm still constantly checking it myself. But... When I tell my story and I do public speaking and try and inspire the people as well, it, I feel like I'm telling a story about somebody else. If that makes sense, I feel because I'm out over that hill a little bit now and I've got to be careful I don't go back over the hill. But at the moment, I'm in a completely different place. And if I can help other people by coming out and saying the places I was in, um, it helps me massively. And, and, and yeah, that's that's my sort of journey with it. That time in Rio, um, your, your flatmate, came in just mm. as, as you yeah. were about to, to take your life yeah. and you said there were two other occasions was it yeah. circumstance both times or were you able to talk yourself down yeah I think I think for me so that the one it was after Rio it was a few months after Rio and I think the common misconception from from people when I first came out was okay table tennis is very stressful that's the reason why you feel like this because it's a pressure cooker you've lost your matches but it wasn't it was the complete opposite table tennis was the reason why I was getting out of bed there were some days where I would ring up sick and I couldn't get out of bed. There were some days where I'd have panic attacks or the panic attack to get out the front door. But the reason why I was accountable and people ringing me to see where I was, was table tennis. So I think for me, it was it was that absolute, of, um, behind it all was the sport. And I think going back to them two other attempts, I had I lived with my ex-girlfriend who had mental health problems. And looking back, it was quite a, a toxic relationship. She's doing really well now, but she struggled with mental health problems and self-harm and all that sort of stuff. And, it just wasn't an environment that was helpful for both of us. Um, I was still struggling. I, I'd i let my tablets lapse. I'd missed a few therapy sessions and all like that. And I'd actually, the, the last one, um, I was sat in my flat on my own where I am now. I wrote letters to everyone that um, that I knew and loved 
and had them on the side. I'd bought candles ready to uh, have on the last night and stuff like that. And I spoke to my psychologist and he said, are you, are you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was happy. So on, I'd, I'd, I planned it all on the Friday, this is the Monday. So yeah, he said, you're feeling good this week. I said, yeah, I feel great. And he said, oh, why? And he said, oh, because on Friday I'm going to do this. And I was just in the complete head. And he said, what? You're going to take your own life on Friday? I was like, yeah, yeah, I feel great. I'm going to not going to be anymore. Like that. And he was like, okay, that's not. And he rushed me to A&E. And I was speaking to people and then I was still in my head. But I met my girlfriend, Lucy, um, on the internet, on, on Bumble. And it was sort of like, okay, maybe maybe we don't do this for a week or two. Maybe we see how this is going because she made me feel a way that I hadn't felt in a very, very long time. And uh, I thought maybe it'd make me well up a little bit now, but it made it made me feel something that I'd not felt in a very long time. I thought maybe I could just hold off this this master plan for a few more weeks. What did it make and you feel? It made me feel like I had a place somewhere, if that makes sense. I was a professional athlete. I'd been around the world. I'd, I'd, I'd done everything I possibly wanted, but I didn't feel like I had a place anywhere and no one really wanted me. I felt like if I took my own life, then... No one would really care. Maybe it'd make the local news that a Paralympian had killed himself, but no one had really cared. He'd probably get in training and say, that's sad. Do you know what I mean? I didn't realise the impact on people. Looking back, that is such a warped way of thinking. And I can't stress to anyone enough listening to this that there, there is, a, there is an, an end point to that. That is not the end. I can promise you, being in them situations, that the, it does get brighter. There is a light at the end of that tunnel. As cliche as that does sound, because I didn't see another way out and I found another way out. And that doesn't have to be finding a girlfriend. That doesn't have to be doing anything. The first step is talking to somebody. doesn't matter who that is, whether that's a stranger you talk to at, 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 at a till, whether that's your best mate, whether that's your family, just talk about it because you'll realise how, how wanted you are. And I think that's the only thing I can stress now. And my, I see table tennis as a vehicle for me to get my story out there and help other people. Winning gold medals is lovely. Playing the Paralympics is amazing. But if I could help one person, I would quit table tennis now because I know how dark that feels and I know how good I feel now. And I'm just trying to portray that to other people. I think it's a, it's going to forever be a, a misconception that they'll see someone like yourself being successful and they'll assume, yeah. oh, they're happy. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why it's that's why it was so impactful. The fact that you know number eight in the world, and yeah. you're talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, it might make people go, "Oh, maybe it's okay." You know, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's okay to not be okay. But like yeah. someone like yourself, who many would assume should be yeah. on top of the world. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and for me as well, like now I'm in, I'm in a much better place. I finished all my therapy. I say I'm still taking my tablets. I still have down days, and that's absolutely okay. Life isn't fantastic all the time. The most happiest people in the world will have days and good and bad days. That doesn't mean you struggle with depression if you're feeling down a little bit there. It's when that goes on for weeks and weeks and it's when you struggle and you have um, intrusive thoughts and, and everything like this. And and it's one of them sort of things that it, it, everyone's like that, just not people, uh, it's not so open about it. If you broke your arm, you go to the hospital. If you didn't feel well mentally, why not speak to someone? And that might be, I know that's very, very hard and that's very cliche to say, but that's what I'm trying to get out there is that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to just take a step back a little bit sometimes and, and look after yourself. That's, it's, it's amazing advice. And, and you know, it's a, you will no doubt help people with what yeah. you said today. Thank, and thank you. Whatever, with looking ahead, I mean, how, is it, how has it been mental health-wise, before we look ahead, how has it been look mental health-wise over the last year? Because the world's been on fire yeah. for the last 18 months <laughs> yeah. and, and everyone's been, been shut away and you hear more and more about people who have really, really struggled with, with yeah. everything that's gone on. How have, how have you handled it with your history? How have you handled yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think for me, the pandemic was such a strange one because I had qualified or on paper qualified for Tokyo and I was buzzing. I was doing the photo shoots for Paralympics with a kit on. Felt on top of the world, felt like I was going to go and take a medal and then it got taken stopped and then for that that first start of lockdown I was like okay this is two weeks off training quite nice I'll have a few takeaways like I'll have a bit of rest and then two weeks turns to three weeks and then I rang my brother and was like I, I don't know what to do here I was up at seven o'clock in the morning not slept I was waking up at five in the afternoon I didn't my head was up my ass I didn't know what was going on my brother sort of said look this is the new normal you had a sink or swim you had to try and adapt and try and carry on your life as normal as best you can or you don't. And that was sort of a conversation. I went, okay, this maybe this is new normal. Maybe this isn't just a, a hold off and life gets better. And it was my brother that sort of pulled me out of it and said, well, what can you do? Like, and then the squad came in with the Zoom calls and then I had a bit of structure and everything like that. I think it could have definitely gone either way for me. And I had to be very, very careful about mental health. And, and I still had very dark days, just like everybody else in, in the pandemic. But I'm just lucky that I've got such a support network around me. I always say, 
um, when I'm when I'm doing interviews and stuff, that I'm just the front man of a big band, of an orchestra. In fact, I'm just the one who gets the credit for winning the medals and, and doing amazing podcasts like this. But I've got a band of people behind me, ones that have been there every step of the way and helped me and pushed me up and shoved me out the front door when, and when I need to go out the most. And yeah, I think for me, it could have went out of the way. But I'm just lucky that I had the support around me to to do that. So are the band back together uh, physically now in terms uh, of training? Ish, yeah. So we, we've been lucky enough with the government guidance that um, we were able to go back in the second lockdown into training and we train full-time now at the Institute of Sport in Sheffield. We're back on a full-time programme and I'm playing, back playing 24 hours a week table tennis. And I've got that structure. I've been able to fly to Slovenia a few times. I've played the qualification tournaments and life feels a little bit more normal now. And uh, the only other things that, that make me stress is that if I, two weeks before Tokyo, if I catch Corona, then I can't go. <laughs> like it's one of them sort of things that can be taken away from you. And the the virus is, is such a, a cha- ever changing thing as well with the guidance and everything like that. And I've had my two vaccines and we're training. The guidance and training has been great with the social distancing and hand washing, sanitizing the balls and everything like that. We're, we are back together as a band. It's just a little bit of a, a different concert, I'd say. That's the, uh, the way to it. Nice. <laughs> is, so in, obviously the, the fear of getting it, of getting COVID yeah. beforehand, yeah. I, I presume that you're not you're not going out as much. You, no. You're keeping no. it as, as limited as possible. For just and, and that must be tough when you can see the whole world getting back up and running again. Yeah. People going back to the pub and back to the cinemas. But you kind of know I've got to I've got to sort of yeah. sit this in sit this one sit in this a little bit longer just to yeah. make sure we can get to Tokyo. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm lucky that the people around me are exactly the same as well. So my girlfriend's consciously not going to be running about with her mates and, and stuff like that. And and it's just a strange one. I think it, it it's one of them things that I can see that the world's getting back to normal. And maybe there's a few wrestling shows before Tokyo that I'd love to go to. And OTNT have got a show coming up soon and I, I can't risk going. It, it, every fiber of my body says I want to be in our front row chanting the names of all the wrestlers, but I can't do it just now. I think I've got to look after of getting their medals back and then we can see how we go because this Olympic faction's not going to make itself. If I get a medal, I might get a few more bookings, so I might yeah, <laughs> be all right there. <laughs> I think you, you mentioned that you met your girlfriend on Bumble. I think from yeah. there to like... Uh, limiting who she goes out with now yeah. not seeing friends yeah. to yeah. having a table tennis table yeah. in the middle of the room yeah she she should get a medal after all this absolutely you know? she puts up with me mate to like get this she don't, don't get me wrong I wear the trousers but she picks them like it's one of those <laughs> things like, <laughs> like she tells you on these socks and trousers I'm wearing just like it's one of those sort of things so that's that's how every good relationship <laughs> should work I think <laughs> when, when did you know that, that you guys were going to be be um like when when you realize that this yeah. is probably the one did you realize is there a moment yeah well has that happened yet am i speaking no. to <laughs> yeah am i gonna get you in trouble here i was gonna say you're pardoned for me to propose here i think we can leave that alone <laughs> oh don't i won't no, push you <laughs> we've been together nearly for four years now and when when lucy first came round at the time i i was in the flat on my own I'd managed to to mess up the flat so much um, that I was not in the big bedroom anymore. I was in the spare bedroom, but I'd cluttered that so much I was sleeping in a pull-out bed. I was using um, paper plates. On, I've never told this story in public, by the way. Um, I was using paper plates. My sink was full of mould. Like I literally was living like I was homeless in a flat. And I, and I spent two days cleaning my flat because I thought Lucy coming around, blah, blah, blah. And, it, and for me, it was clean, but it clearly wasn't clean. And the second date, she came around and... She's, we really got on and, and everything like that. And she, I just came in and she was cleaning the sink. She was like, oh, this needs sorting out. And it was that moment I was like, okay, maybe she doesn't think I'm an absolute scruff and then I have got a bit of potential here somewhere. And then <laughs> she just helped me. It was one of the things. And I went away a few months later. And as you do, she was to and from in the flat and all that. I came back a few months later from Slovenia and she decorated the whole place. Like wow. these yellow walls that you see, yeah, where what yellow they were, they got paint. Well, I see, got, I see cushions. I'm fairly confident yeah. from chatting to you, Jack. Yeah. Those cushions weren't there oh, beforehand. Mate, no, no, I didn't. I barely had a cushion on my wheelchair, let on the bloody couch. <laughs> like it was, I wasn't in a good place. Like it wasn't those sort of things. So I came back and and uh, it was funny actually because like a year or two later, we're down the line and we're sorting the flat out, and I uh, came in and I was like, Lucy, what? Have you, why have you moved the scattered cushions? And she started laughing. To like, if you could have seen yourself two years ago, and then you're moaning at me for putting the scatter cushions back. 
<laughs> and it's similar thing like it, it when you mentioned about her tidying the tidying up the the flat for you yeah because it's a similar thing with with me and the good lady because because yeah. i'll she says she'll say to me can you can you clean because the, yeah. the, the the my mum and dad are coming so i will but then she'll come home and go oh, i'll have to clean later yeah that's what, that's what i'm like, yeah. I, I, the, what the line was i said but i tidied up and she said, <laughs> yeah you tidied but you yeah. didn't clean absolutely yeah <laughs> Are they are they exclusive? Yeah. But it was the same thing. <laughs> this sounds like a similar conversation. Yeah, I'm glad we're in the same box. I get the, that's <laughs> weekly. <laughs> I'm great at tidying. I'm shit at cleaning. Yeah, that's literally me. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew they were different? Um, what? Looking ahead to uh, to Tokyo now. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that one of those you're up against in the tournament is a bit of a hero of yours, Tommy Yorhog yeah. from Norway? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How's that feel going in knowing like somebody yeah. that you kind of aspire to? You're gonna have yeah, to take like, them down. As I say, like yeah, growing up at like eleven and twelve, watching YouTube videos of tiltiness players and hitting the ball against the wall for hours and ending my bedroom and my mum keeping her up at night and like, doing all that sort of stuff. Tommy, I played my first competition in two thousand eight, which is technically international because it was in Liverpool. I was given like a wild card. I couldn't play, but I was in the tournament and I seen Tommy and I was shaking and I was asking for an autograph and everything like that and and it's strange now that me and Tommy are actually very, very good friends. We play team event together. Um, I speak to him daily. It's such a strange dynamic for me because he was that sort of uh, idol. And he still is. He's a consummate professional. I look up to Tommy every every single time I play table tennis. And I'm lucky enough that I've beat him a few times uh, in, my, in my career so far as well. So taking the Paralympics, I'm, ho- I'm hoping Tommy don't kill me, but it's going to be a bit of a Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair situation. I'm going to see uh-huh. if I can... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to call him old, old yellow. yellow. <laughs> but before the last point, I will mouth to him, sorry, I love you, and then I'll try and take the medal off him. <laughs> oh, and then a nice video package about Tommy to yeah. delete the memories alone. <laughs> Oh, that's exciting! That is exciting. So we got to get to actually. Well, on the on the subject of of the wrestling, let's get to your third yeah. and final match, then, uh, Jack. Yeah. What would you like for your final match today, sir? My final match is Walter versus Ilya Dragunov, twenty twenty NXT UK. That's what I've gone with. Walter, a champion who seemed untouchable throughout his title reign until last week. Is that a sign of what's to come for the ring general? On the six. Ilya Dragunov. I respect Ilya. The champion is furious about being pinned last week. Ilya is an honest, hardworking man with principles. Oh, Walter is trying to take out Dragunov before he gets his opportunity. But to be honest. I'm going to destroy you. I didn't break. This is war. It will be the greatest fight of your life, Ilya. I'm ready for this. I was born for this. Ilya Dragunov is not human. One thing will never change. Me being the NXT... UK champion. There's nothing you can do. If Dragunov can hit that, he could become the new NXT United Kingdom champion. You will not keep me down. This is nice because we can we can address a yeah. comment that we made earlier where we yeah. said, "Oh, they're always in third gear." Christ, yeah. this broke the no. gears. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. This is a match that you would have seen on the Indies and more. This is a main event of the biggest progress shows, the OCT shows that we've all raved about on the indie scene that maybe didn't translate so well onto TV's programming. This match put, for me, put British wrestling on the map of like, okay, we are this sort of British strong style uh, wrestling and we are a force to be reckoned with within the wrestling industry. And I watched that and as I say, I was completely invested. I was thinking, I was living every chop, I was living every false finish. Uh, watching Walter uh, come from from where he has come off the Indies to see where he is now is absolutely incredible and what a talent them two boys are. It was one of the matches that I could literally, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter how I've been at training, I could put that match on and watch it and just get completely back invested into that moment. 
And for me, it was an absolutely incredible match. And it was one that I didn't watch live. It was a match that you see on Twitter flying around saying this match was good. And I watched it a bit spectacle. I've seen the seen similar matches before. Uh, I've seen Walter versus uh, Zack Sabre Jr. People like, like unbelievable matches, but this one topped it all. It was an incredible match and it just had me start to finish. And it's definitely something I'd like to watch. Volta works so beautifully with yeah. so many different styles, yeah. doesn't he? Have yeah. you had the pleasure of seeing Volta live? Yes, yeah, I have, yeah. And I've met him briefly because I played in the Austrian League, um, table tennis, uh, and I still ah. do now. So I went up to him in my very drunken, broken-up German. <laughs> like, <laughs> I spoke to him, and then we ended up just going to speak in English because my German's not great as it is, let alone that. <laughs> so so I, I basically, so the team I play for, Bergenland, his parents are from Bergenland, so we had a bit of a chat about areas around Austria and stuff, and he's a nice bloke. And he went to the main, main event and absolutely murdered it. Like it was, it was, it was Ricochet, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., and it was uh, Walter in a three-way in the main event. It was actually at a, um, a What Culture show. Thinking about oh, WCPW. WCPW, yeah, yeah. Back in Sheffield days, so uh, they spunked all the budget on them three. I think by looking at it, can the only, the only time, funny enough, the only time I've seen um, Walter live was in Sheffield. It, yeah, was, a diff- yeah. it was after WCPW become defiant. Oh, yeah. He, his opponent hadn't turned up or whatever, and it was um, yeah. guy from Aussie Open, Mark Haskins. Oh, no, not yeah, Mark, Mark Haskins. Haskins. Not Mark Haskins. Not Mark Haskins. Uh, what's his name? He's gone out, the other guy from Aussie. He looks like me. I can't remember <laughs> his name. Um, but it was him from Aussie yeah. Open. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure somebody will message me and tell me when they see it. Um, <laughs> and... Hearing a, a Walter Chop live. Yes. Oh, yeah. it made my teeth rattle. And I yeah. was four rows back. Yeah. Oh, God. How? It... People aren't <laughs> dead. Yeah, I think my mate who's in a chair who came with me said, I can feel my legs again after hearing that chop. But, like, it was one of those odd things. I was like, wow. Like, <laughs> that is real. <laughs> like, that is real. If anyone's been messing about in the playground as a kid and been slapped on the back and that stings, You've never had a, a human 3D handprint on your chest over and over again. Like it, it's a, when he's gossiping over the ropes with their arms behind it and he's ch- clubbing away. It, it's a it's a hard watch. <laughs> like it's a hard watch. <laughs> There's that one photo taken. I think it was by um, by Beyond Gorilla, the photographer, yeah, yeah. and he, where he captures like the, the, the side, the yeah. handprint oh, in the oh yeah. my god, yeah, yeah, something else. That man is something else. Uh, but going yeah. back to Volta Dragunov, is there yeah. a, is there a moment from that match which when you watched it first time, the yeah. moment that sucked you in? I think it was the first the first false finish for me because I thought mm. it was because they had a few pinfalls but then they, they had the uh, I think it was a lariat into a into a I can't remember what it was from but it was from a, a top row from I think it was a headbutt imagine a flying headbutt from Dragunov gone into the pin I've gone okay that's a good full finish and I was like oh god that's nice and it was what sort of that, that momentum that was picking up and you, I didn't have a clue because when you watch a lot of indie wrestling wrestling in general you can sort of tell between a narrative who's going to win when the finish is going to be okay mm. usually uses that move what time are we on here do you know what I mean like it's one of them sort of things you can you have experience of knowing sort of where the matches are going but on that I didn't have a clue what was going on that match and it took me back from being that kid who uh, was fuming at Carlito spitting apples at people going back from uh, Johnny Nitro and all that sort of era of of, of of all that sort of stuff and take me back to that sort of moment where I absolutely find love with wrestling. And I use wrestling now, uh, which I haven't really touched on in my tail tennis massively because as we've spoken about health problems, I sort of go on the course and if I don't feel great, I try and leave that um, outside the doors. I try and play a character on the table, very similar to what a wrestler would do. That's why I spoke to quite a lot of wrestlers about how they manage that and how they do that. So you might see Kane go out a formidable character, but what's Glenn Jacobs like behind the curtain? Do you know what I mean? Like, is he? Everybody struggles, but then if they go out, they're that large in life character. They're them. They're them ones that are out there doing it, performing when they need to perform, and that's what I try and do with my table tennis. Is use that as my performing area. That table tennis table is my ring, and that's what I sort of do. And it took me back to them moments of, of, of being in that sort of situation, playing and watching them to slug it out. And I wanted to get on the court then and sort of do my style and do what I can do out there. And it really did inspire me to see see what them guys can do. It brings it beautifully full circle. Uh, this has been so amazing to chat to you, Jack, ahead of what is going to be a really busy few months for you as we get ready yeah. for Tokyo. Uh, where can people go if they want to follow your journey to the Paralympics? Sir? Yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm at Jack H S T T. That's J A C K H S T T on uh, all social medias. 
uh, please drop us a follow because I am very far on Twitter, but I don't have many followers. So if you could get me a few Aww. more followers, that would be that'd be very, very nice because I've got Will Bailey in the team who did Strictly and he's always taking the mick out of me that I'm going to follow us. So uh... <laughs> stick no, it to Will. Joking, it to Will. <laughs> so yeah, please come and follow my journey because I will be posting a lot of... Uh, wrestling stuff and hopefully uh i'll put it on the spot here somewhere if we get a medal can i come back on can we can we do some more stuff no no <laughs> <laughs> bloody hell mate if you win in a medal you're back on we're, we're gonna take full advantage we're gonna take full advantage of your uh, of, of your success obviously if you don't yeah. win a medal then you'll never be back on um, so no no pressure mate yeah. we'll, we'll get ross we'll get to do back. a wtf on the paralympics and <laughs> <laughs> 